Well, I want us to open our Bible uh, to uh, the book of John, please. John chapter 9. I know when we left off before my family and I took our vacation, we were uh, in the book of 1 Samuel. In fact, we concluded 1 Samuel with the death of King Saul. And so we are set to begin 2 Samuel, which really many believe were just one long-running book. It was perhaps later divided into two books. Uh, and we're going to continue that. I, in fact, I, I began Monday preparing for chapter 1 and then yesterday. Uh, and then this morning I came in and uh, locked myself in the office, put my phone on silent and said, I have got to get through Second Samuel chapter 1. But ever since Monday, I've just not had any direction or peace about the text, which is very uh, rare for me when it comes to my weekly study. I could only conclude that perhaps the Lord wanted us to be challenged about something entirely different this evening. And so as I begin to pray and think about this, the Lord directed my attention to just one simple verse in John chapter 9. And really, it has to do with preparation for Easter Sunday. And so I've titled tonight's message, sermon, talk, whatever you want to call it, on being determined to get people to Jesus, uh, being determined to get people uh, to Jesus. And so I want us to look together here at John chapter 9, and we'll just look at verse number 4. Jesus is speaking here. He said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. Of course, he goes on to say in verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Consider what Jesus is saying again here in verse 4. He said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. I think especially on a Wednesday night, that all of you would agree with me that the most important message that this world will ever hear is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It is the most important message. It is the most relevant message. And it needs to be proclaimed now more than ever through the life of believers. What, what is the gospel? If the gospel is the most important message the world will ever hear, we need to have a clear understanding of what the gospel is. Let me give you a reminder of the gospel. In fact, this definition that I put together is something we go over in our membership class. Uh, every single quarter when someone comes into our, every member in this room has heard this definition of the gospel before. Uh, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus came from heaven, lived a perfect sinless life, died on a cross in my place to pardon sin once and for all, and was raised from the dead to accomplish the work of salvation for us, so that those who trust in him alone may experience new life in Christ and reconciliation with God forever." I know that's a long definition, but that encompasses what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. It is the good news. That's what the word gospel means, good news. So when we talk about the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, it's the, it's the good news that Jesus came from heaven, 
that he lived a perfect sinless life, died on a cross in my place, departed sin once and for all, was raised from the dead to accomplish the work of salvation for us so that those who trust in him alone may experience new life in Christ and reconciliation with God forever. And week after week in our gatherings, whether that's on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or a one of clubs or any other gathering we may have as a church, week after week, we invite others to believe the gospel message. And the reason we invite others to believe the gospel message is because we believe the promise of God's word, particularly in Romans chapter 2, 10, where the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you will be saved not by your merit, your doing, your righteousness. You will be saved by the message of the gospel. Saved by the reality that Jesus Christ came from heaven, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and all of those who put their trust in him alone will experience new life in Christ, will be saved. And that is what it takes to become a Christian. All that it takes is for you to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, that he indeed did what he said he would do. And this is our mission. Our mission as a church is to exalt the gospel. It's to glorify God, to exalt his gospel through the preaching of his word and the fellowship of his church. And so when we preach that message of Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, when we preach that gospel and exalt that mission, then we can go forward with the promise that men and women, boys and girls, are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to challenge us on tonight. I want to encourage you on this Wednesday evening to be determined to get people to Jesus. To be determined to preach that gospel. I'm sure, as I do, there are many in this room who want to see more people get baptized in our church. I want to see more people come to faith in Christ. I want to see more people get baptized and begin the process of discipleship, which is what all of us are doing. We're all disciples of the Lord, growing in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we want to see that, then we got to bring others to church. We have to invite them to come and hear the gospel. We have to sacrifice some things in our life in order to give time to hospitality. In order to make efforts to build new friendships and relationships, we've got to sacrifice time in order to answer the questions of those who are seeking truth, hope, and peace in this life. And we have to intentionally, all of us, intentionally have gospel conversations with non-Christians. We have to do these things. It's easy to sit back and say, well, I wish more people would get baptized and I have to go back to us and confront us with all the same question. We have to invite people to come hear the gospel if they're going to get baptized. Who have you invited recently to come to faith in Christ, to to, to attend church with you, to, to sit under the preaching of the gospel? Listen, church, the baptistry waters will not be moved if we aren't moving people to hear the gospel. It's just common sense. And so we have an opportunity in a little over a week to get a lot of people here to hear the gospel of Jesus, Easter Sunday. In fact, 
four most likely opportunities a Christian has in getting a non-Christian to attend church. There are four. Four most likely opportunities. Now, talk to me tonight. I don't normally like it when you talk to me. I'll kick you out of church if you do that, as you saw Sunday, all right? Uh, Four. What are the four most likely opportunities that people are going to come to church? Give me one of them. What? Christmas. I heard Christmas. What's another one? Easter. All right. Yeah, that's a given, right? There's two more. Mother's Day. Did somebody say Mother's Day? You know what's interesting about that? That's not one of the fours, but let me just give you a little insight when it comes to church statistics. Mother's Day is always more attended than Father's Day is. I think there's a reason for that. Because most mamas in this room and their kids ask them, what do you want for Mother's Day? They say, I just want you to come to church with me. That's all I want you to do. I just want you to come to church with me. Dads say, when kids ask their dads, what do you want for Father's Day? I want to go to the lake. I want to go fishing. I want to do this. It's a sad reality, but the truth is the truth. All right, that's not one of them. Give me another one. Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving. You go to church on Thanksgiving? All right, weddings. So finally somebody said it, weddings, weddings. There are people that come to church for a wedding that are not going to come to church for any other reason. They're not going to come on Easter. They're not going to come to Christmas, and so they come on a wedding. So every wedding I do, I give the gospel. We don't give a come forward invitation, though, every head bowed, every eye closed. But we, before we ever begin the vows, we're showing them how that our relationship with Jesus Christ is pictured in God's creation of marriage. And so we give the gospel. And so this should help you with the fourth one. What's the fourth one? Funerals. Thank you. All right. Christmas, Easter, weddings, and funerals. Those are the four most likely opportunities that we have to get someone who's not saved, who's not a Christian, to come into a church, into a place where they're going to hear the gospel message. And here's the thrilling thing. Based on church research, 82% of unchurched people are most likely to attend church if they're invited. If they're invited. That means your neighbor across the street there's an 82% chance that they're going to say yes to come to church with you on Easter Sunday if you would just walk over there, knock on that door, give them a homemade apple pie, and say, will you be my guest on Easter Sunday? It is far more likely that they will come with you than it is that they won't come to us. Easter is even more of an opportunity because of our southern culture. We often often talk about the fact that we live in a culture that is dominated by religious activity, churches on every corner. I think the sad reality is even in our church, there are people who identify themselves as Christian, but they're not truly Christian. And the only reason that is the case is because they grew up in a culture where you just go to church on Sunday. And then there's a there's a whole group of them that'll that'll be here. In a week, a week and a half that, that we hadn't seen for a long time, a long time. It's not because they're Christian. It's because they were raised in a Christian culture. That You, you go to church on Easter. You go to church on Christmas. Uh, there's a special event going on, Mother's Day, whatever. You, you go to church because that's what Grandma asked us to do. We all go to Grandma's house afterwards, and we have a big egg hunt, and we eat lunch, and we'll not go back to church for another six months, but that's what we do. And because that's what we do, they automatically think, well, yeah, I'm, I'm Christian, I'm Christian. 
And so we have to take advantage of that opportunity because what we want people is to understand what the gospel truly is so that when they come to church and they hear the true gospel message that this will be a defining moment in their life where they actually believe the gospel upon hearing the gospel and understand what true Christianity is all about. So many right now, even though they haven't been invited, are making plans to go to church in a week and a half because that's what you do in the South on Easter Sunday. You, you go to church. So I, what I want to do tonight is just take just briefly this simple statement by Jesus here in John chapter 9. Encourage us to follow his example in our determination to do the will of God in getting people to hear the gospel. Look again at what he says there in verse 4 of John 9. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. Well, some of you might say, well, that's, that's Jesus' mission. That verse has nothing to do with what we do. That's what Jesus was saying his work was. That's his mission. Well, I want you to consider John chapter 20 and verse 21. When Jesus himself looked to his disciples and said to them, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So so it's not enough for us to look at what Jesus' work and Jesus' mission is and just relegate that to himself. Right? That's, that was Jesus' job, Jesus' mission, Jesus' work. That has nothing to do with me. No, no, no. It has everything to do with me. Because what Jesus is saying is just like God the Heavenly Father sent me out to do his work, so am I sending you out to do his work. So here we find in Jesus' determination to do the work of his Father, a model of determination for us. Since indeed he has sent us out with the exact same mission. And that model, as I see it here in verse number four, consists of three things that brought about Jesus' determination to get people to the gospel. All right, if you want, write these three things down. Just one word points here. Number one, urgency. Urgency. That's the first thing we see here, urgency. Notice what Jesus said, I must work. I must work the works of him who has sent me. I must do this. In the context of this verse, it sits within a day when the disciples were walking with Jesus. And as they were walking with Jesus, they came across a blind man. And instead of seeing this man as an object of mercy, the disciples saw him as a subject for theological debate. And if we're not careful, we'll get ourselves into the same Christian discussions where God wants us to engage in ministry, in gospel mercy, but yet we want to step back and analyze the whole situation. That's what the disciples were doing. Instead of seeing this blind man as an opportunity for God to minister to, they want to have a debate about him. In fact, they ask Jesus in verse 2 there, if you still have your Bibles open, I hope you do. Here's what it says, verse 2. Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. You see, their focus was wrong. Instead of seeking to meet his need, they were too busy analyzing his condition. 
So, so Jesus' statement there in verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me, it identified his desire to urgently be about the gospel work of his Father. He didn't want his disciples or us to be distracted, but to always be urgently focused on the mission. Now, he answered their question. And he did so quickly by reminding them that everything that this man has experienced had been for the glory of God. Again, reminding them that if they would just focus on the man's need, then they would come to find even God's purpose in his life. And so it is with us. We have a mission, and God says we need to be urgently about that mission. Jesus said, I must do this. I, I must work. Remember the story Jesus told in Luke chapter 14? I don't have time to take you there and read it to you tonight, but perhaps you'd write it down. Luke 14, verses 16 through 23. There was this great supper, and the great supper symbolized God's preparation of salvation. And it was prepared in Luke chapter 14 by the master of the house. The master of the house symbolizing Jesus Christ. And so what the master of the house did was he sent out his servants to invite as many as would to come and eat. And even though there were those who did indeed reject the invitation, the master still sent his servants out to this time urgently go after more that those who would receive the invitation. In fact, he told them in verse 23 to, to go out quickly, quickly, and compel them to come. That word compel, it gives us a sense of urgency. Go out quickly. Don't, don't be distracted by the ones who've rejected your invitation. Don't, don't just pack it up because those you did invite said no. No, 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 you, you go out quickly and urgently find those who want the invitation, who will say yes to the invitation and bring them into the house where he's saying here salvation is prepared. So we must, we must follow the model of Jesus here with great urgency. Do whatever we can urgently to invite others to come, to come and hear the gospel. I wonder tonight if there is an urgency in your heart that says, I must work the works of him who sent me. I must do this. I must. If there's anything that I need to give up in my life, I cannot give up the mission God has for me. I cannot give up his purpose for my life as a believer, and that is to declare his glory and exalt his gospel to those who are in need of his grace and mercy. And so if we are going to have the same determination as Jesus had, we have to have urgency. We have to see this as an urgent matter. God did not give this to us as an option. No, it's a command, a command that we urgently must fulfill beginning in our own homes and then moving forward out to those whom God has brought into our path. So, so urgency. Right, right down the second word. We're, again, we're looking at the model of Jesus here. How to have that determination to bring other people to Jesus. Urgency. Secondly, responsibility. Responsibility. Notice again the statement that Jesus makes. He says, I must work. I must do this. I have to. That's, that's urgency. And what is it that he has to do? The works of him who sent me. The works of him who sent me. So Jesus had a mission. 
He had a mission from the Heavenly Father, a work to do. And it was his responsibility to fulfill it. Even as a young child, he articulated his heavenly responsibility on earth. When Joseph and Mary, his parents, lost him, they didn't know where he was. I don't know how that happens. There's been a few times where I've wondered where I put one of my kids. There's been a couple of you pulled away on a Wednesday night and halfway down the road realized, oh, I forgot to pick up so-and-so. So it happens. Let's not be too hard on Mary and Joseph. I think there's all been a time where we forgot a child maybe somewhere along the way. Not for long, but, but we have. Mary and Joseph, they, they can't find Jesus, but, but this was a long period of time that he was gone. And when they did eventually find him, they found him in a temple preaching. The Bible says he was confounding the minds of those who were there. They were blown away by the way that he taught the Old Testament. And so as any parent would do, Mary and Joseph, what are you doing, son? Where have you been? And how was it that Jesus responded in Luke 2? He said, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Even as a young child, he understood and articulated his heavenly responsibility on earth. And what was that responsibility? What was that work that his father had given to him? Well, he later told us in Luke chapter 19, he said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Although it is Jesus who perfectly finished the work, it is his church who is responsible for declaring the message of that finished work. But Paul told Timothy that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. In other words, we are the ones who have the responsibility to declare that message to the world. And if we don't fulfill that responsibility, the message won't be heard. So it's our responsibility to declare, as 1 Timothy 3.16 says, as the follow-up to the idea that we are the pillar and ground of the truth. He said, it is we, the pillar and ground of the truth, that we we must declare that God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. We must preach the gospel. That is who we are. We are the pillar of the gospel. We are the ground of the gospel. We are the ones holding it up for the world to see and to hear. The message, yes, that Jesus came from heaven. That he lived a perfect, sinless life. That he died on a cross to pardon our sin once and for all. That three days later he rose again from the dead to confirm salvation so that anyone who trusts in him alone will experience new life in Christ and reconciliation with God forever. That is the message we have to uphold. It's the message that we, you and I, are responsible for declaring. So we take the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And with His power, we become witnesses to the gospel message of Christ, to our friends, to our family, to those whom we've never met. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe is me if I don't fulfill my responsibility. Woe is me if I don't Share the message of Jesus Christ 
I just want to remind you of what is at work in gospel evangelism. Three things. This is not the first time you've heard this. I've shared this often when, it talk, when we come to understand how a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. There's a lot of imbalance in this type of teaching. That There are some who would go to the extreme and says there's nothing that you and I do. It's all the work of God and we shouldn't tell anybody. We should just kind of sit on our hands so as it were and whoever God wants to be saved, they'll get saved. That is an extreme, a dangerous extreme. Then there's the other extreme that says God really has nothing to do with it and it's all about us. It's all about who we tell and who we pray with and who we share with. And that is just as much a dangerous extreme. So we need to understand what all is at work when it comes to our gospel evangelism. Let me just tell you, number one, God's sovereignty is at work. God's sovereignty. This is where it begins. No man comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him. That's John chapter 9. No one comes to Jesus unless God the Father has initiated his work in his life. So it begins with God's sovereignty, God putting us in a place, in a position to hear the word, to be invited to the gospel. Some of you can think back on your life as believers now and you can say, yes, man, I didn't know it then, but I, 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 I know it now. That was God's sovereignty at work in my life, allowing me to be perhaps born into that home or allowing that Sunday school teacher to invest in my life or that soul winner to knock on my door or whatever the case may be. You look back at it now and say, yes, that was God's sovereignty getting me into a place where I could hear the word of God. And so he begins a work in your heart. He begins softening your heart. He begins helping you in a regenerative way understand what faith is, what grace is. God's sovereignty is the first thing at work. No man gets saved unless the Father initiates that work. All right, the second thing at work is the Word of God. The Word of God is at work. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We, we, we don't lead people to Christ through dramas of positive thinking. Somebody asked in a Facebook group that I am in in a running secular group today to send positive vibes their way because they injured themselves. We don't send positive vibes. We pray. We, we, we don't send positive vibes. So if a person is going to come to faith in Christ, it's not through vibes. It's through the declaration of God's word. They have to hear the Bible. They have to hear the gospel. They have to know the truth about their condition without God and the holiness of God who has laid himself down on their behalf. There's a lot of things at work here. God's sovereignty is work. God's word is at work. But, number three, God's people are at work. God's people are at work. Evangelism is the process by which we, as God's people, help others understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Urging them, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is exactly what Philip did to the Ethiopian eunuch. The sovereignty of God was at work causing the Ethiopian eunuch to aspire to understand the things of God. He was reading Isaiah, which was the word of God being at work. And all of a sudden, here comes Philip. You think it was all of a sudden? No, it was the sovereignty of God at work. Leading him to the exact place where the Ethiopian eunuch was reading Isaiah. And what does he say? He looks to the Ethiopian man and says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I understand unless somebody showed me? 
And there, Philip, the people of God, took the word of God and through the help of the Holy Spirit of God, helped that man come to faith in Jesus Christ. All of these things are at work. God is at work. His word is at work. And you and I are to be at work helping others know the truth. This is our responsibility. And remind you what Paul said in Romans chapter 10. How will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear except we preach? Except we tell them? Except we declare to them the gospel of Jesus? Some of you are familiar with uh, Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller. You may have heard me tell this story before. I had the opportunity to go to one of their uh, illusionist shows, magic shows, whatever you want to call it there in Las Vegas many, many years ago. And one of the things that, that Penn does after his shows, he goes to the back lobby. He'll talk to anybody who was there. He tells a story one day about how many, many years ago as he was standing in the lobby after one of his performances, somebody came and gave him a New Testament Bible. The significance of that is because Penn declares himself to be an atheist, still does. But he was so moved by that act of love. He said, it was the first time in my life, and I think he's received many since he's come public with this story. He, he said, for the first time in his life, someone actually showed that they cared about me. And he says, I think if you, if you, if you believe what you say you ought to be, you ought to pro- proselytize, he says. How can you tell me that there's a heaven and there's a hell, but you, 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 you've never told me or you, or you don't tell others about that? In fact, he goes on to say, and think about this. He said, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them about the truth if indeed eternal life is true? It's a great convicting thought coming from an unconverted man. This is our responsibility. Yes, God is at work. Yes, his word is at work. And yes, he enlists us to be at work, inviting, sharing, helping others understand faith in the gospel. So if we're going to see the determination of Jesus in our own lives, we've got to see the responsibility that he saw in himself. I must work the works of him who has sent me. Now, let me give you a third word, and we'll be done. It's the word opportunity. All right, urgency, I must do this. Responsibility, I must work the works of him. I've been given a responsibility by God to share the gospel, to share my faith, to declare the message of Christ. And the third word we hear, see, is opportunity. Look at what Jesus said at the conclusion of verse 4. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, while it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. So here we have stated for us the limited opportunity we have to get people to Jesus. Because the night is coming. That's what Christ was saying. The night is coming. In its most practical sense, we understand that we are to do what we can to get people to Jesus while we have the opportunity to do so. I want to brag on you because so many of you could preach this message in my stead because of the opportunities that you take on a regular basis to share the gospel with others. 
In just the last couple of weeks, I have met first-time guests who have come because people on our church, instead of sharing political debate and annoying fake news, they share invitations to our church. And people have come as a result of that. In the last couple of weeks, I've met Charwin, a painter, who did some work at your home. And while he was there, not only did you pay him good, but you gave him an invite to our church, and he's been coming on Sunday mornings, he and his wife. Man Up Conference, I met six or seven employees of a businessman in our church who's been working hard privately, and nobody knows it, but privately there at his shop, he takes books in his Bible and disciples his employees in God's word to help them understand faith in Christ. And as a result, Gary Hastings had six or seven men here at a Man Up Conference as a result of his Bible studies that he does at work. I say you are to be commended. You understand this. But let's think about it in terms of opportunity for just a moment. As I mentioned at the forefront of this talk this evening, is that Easter Sunday is an opportunity for us. It's another opportunity for us to get people who haven't been to church in a long time. Maybe they haven't been to church since before the pandemic. Maybe they haven't been to church in years. Maybe they've never been to church. Never been to church. It's amazing how many people have been visiting here in the last several months who have never been to church at all in their life until they walked into the doors of Laurel Baptist Church. Oh, we have yet to even scratch the surface on the need for the gospel in our community. While it is day, while it is day, the night is coming when we can't work anymore. The night is coming when we won't be able to preach the gospel anymore. The night is coming where that invitation will no longer be accessible. So we must do what we must do urgently Understanding our responsibility, taking advantage of every opportunity we have to get the gospel to others. So as we think about Easter, I want to just very practically challenge you for the next week and a half to invite someone to services on Easter Sunday. Pick up those Good Friday and Easter invitations that we have in the back. Have you already done that? Listen, we got too many of these back there. Now don't go pick up a hundred of them just because I said that. Pick up a few of them. And go invite people to come with you on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Give them all that information. Share on social media the weekend services, inviting others to join you. Show hospitality toward a guest in order to get them to come with you. Maybe you don't have big family plans. Or even if you do, invite them to come over to the family lunch with you. Hey, come to Easter Sunday. We'll go grab a, a meal together after the service. Consider means of hospitality to invite others. Be, be ready to share the gospel with them. That is, get them here. Sit with them. And then when the message is over with, don't walk away. Ask them. So what did you think about pastor's message this morning? Do you know that is an excellent way to bridge the conversation from declaration to invitation? <laughs> We've spent 35, 45, sometimes 55 minutes declaring the message. 
And then when the last note on the piano is played, just looking over to that guest that came with you and say, hey, let me ask you a question. What did you think about the message Pastor preached this morning? That is a question that I ask every guest that comes with me. And it's typically over chips and salsa. Hey, what do you think about the message I preached this morning? Does that resonate with you? Has there been a time in your life where you have trusted the gospel of Jesus Christ? T- tell, tell me about that. If not, let's, let's introduce you to Jesus today. You be the soul winner. You be the Philip. You be the evangelist. It, it doesn't rise and fall on me. I'm just one small piece of this puzzle. It's all of us taking advantage of the opportunity that we have to preach the gospel to those that we're trying to reach. Remember, eight out of ten people will come if you invite them. Eight out of ten people will come if you invite them. And it's our invitation that could be the defining moment in their life as far as hearing and believing the gospel. And some of you, that's true in your own life. Had it not been someone who invited you to come here, where would you be this evening? Take the same love that has been extended to you and extend it to others. Start with your children and your grandchildren and your other family. And then go to your friends and co-workers. Knock on that person's door across the street they hadn't talked to in a while. And invite them to come with you. You already know them. If you don't know them, get to know them. Bake them some cookies. Go over there. Talk to them about the weather. Gas prices, whatever you want to talk to them about. But eventually talk to them about Jesus. Invite them to Jesus. It takes determination to do it. It doesn't just happen. It takes determination. It takes faith and prayer. But determination, faith, believing that God can do this, and prayer, asking Him to do it, it can reap a harvest in God's field of gospel evangelism. My wife and I both have people that we want to see come to Christ. And I pray that you do too. If not, that's where you begin. God, put someone in my life, someone in my path who needs you. And I've never known God not to answer that prayer. Never. And then urgently, with great attention to your responsibility, take that opportunity. And say, as Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while I have the time. For there's coming a day when no man can work. Well, I mentioned determination, of course, faith, but also prayer. So I want us to reflect on these things this evening and just bow our heads together even now for a moment of prayer together. And let us just pray a few things. I want us to pray that God would save people on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Now most of our guests come on Easter Sunday and that's fine. But Good Friday is a great opportunity too to get some people here as we hear the message proclaimed. But let's pray over the weekend that God will save some people. It doesn't matter why they're coming, whether they're coming for the meal that you're offering them or the Easter hunt afterwards. It doesn't matter. What matters is that they come and we're praying that God 
will break through those motives and show himself real and visible to their hearts. And pray that God will help you specifically be the light that someone else needs to trust the gospel. You're thinking of that friend, that family member. And and if you're not, and you don't have one, pray right now that God will give you someone. Lord, lead me to someone this week that I can fulfill your mission of gospel evangelism with. silently right there where we are approach the throne of God and then I will